Matthew chapter 5 this evening. <clears throat> yeah, maybe that maybe that's it. I don't know. <clears throat> yeah. So Matthew chapter 5 and um this section of the Sermon on the Mount Jesus Jesus does something really interesting here. He he reaches what I what I what I consider into real life issues. And you know, Jesus one of his characteristics is that he's meek and he's you know, uh, you know that that is a uh, a word that means inner strength. But oftentimes, you know, we we get this image, I think way too often of Jesus as being a a a pleaser, people pleaser kind of person and he doesn't want to ruffle any feathers or anything like that. Well, uh, we're going to find here in this this sermon on the mount and this next section, uh he he goes after the feathers, okay? <laughs> I mean, he is out to ruffle feathers and um uh, he he covers six important Old Testament laws uh, in this next section, and we're going to talk about all six, and we're only going to talk about two of them tonight. But <clears throat> he talks about six different uh, Old Testament laws, and what he does is he, he interprets the these six laws in in light of the light that he is bringing to the world. Does that, does that make sense? Um, and he makes a fundamental change to the laws, these six laws, but he does it without altering God's standard. Does that make sense? So he he's going to change the law, but the 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 fundamental standard of God doesn't change. <clears throat> the change that he makes is he changes from an action to an attitude. And more specifically, he goes after the the attitude of the heart. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and the marrow, and is the discerner of the what? The thoughts and the intents of the heart. So Jesus, in in, in this section that we're going to be talking about takes these six laws and he intensifies them uh, if you would and makes them even more impossible to follow the fundamental problem is simple the Pharisees would say this righteousness consists of performing certain actions so in other words, the, the, the law, according to the Pharisees at the time, they said that in order for you to be holy or, or earn your way to heaven, you have to keep this law. It was an outward action. You have to keep this law. And Jesus comes along here on the Sermon on the Mount, and he changes that, and he said, he said no, it's not what you do, it's who you are inside that you have to be careful of. And it changes everything, although it keeps the fundamental law intact. Jesus' emphasis is on, is, is, is on the heart. The Pharisees' emphasis was on the actions. And he does not candy coat any of this. He, he, 
he basically calls he calls it what it is. He doesn't candy coat it. You know, my my wife, um, I don't know, s- several years ago, uh, took a took a class on counseling, and one of the things that that she took away from this counseling class, and and all all, and obviously it's good advice, is you call it you call sin what it is. You don't call adultery infidelity; it's adultery. Call it what it is. And way too often in our society today, because we live in a politically correct society or a woke society, and we want to rename everything and candy coat it so that nobody gets their feelings hurt. But God calls it sin. And it and we have to understand that Jesus, he he just he just calls it out. And we'll, we'll see that as we go through these six things. Now, <clears throat> I believe, and I'm, I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination here, but I believe that there are four stages to the heart. You know, our heart is a precious thing that God, that God put within us. And I'm not talking about our physical, our physical heart here, okay? But I, I, I had... I gave this to Chris because I, I want to, if you're keeping notes, I want you to write these down. Because I think, and again, this is my opinion, but I think that the, these are four stages that reveal our heart. The first one is the intent or a passing idea or a temptation. The verse that we just read talks about the... <clears throat> um, uh, the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. And <clears throat> my understanding of the word intent is it's just a passing idea or a temptation that's just that, 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 that it comes into your life. The next step is, <clears throat> excuse me, thoughts. This is when we start to dwell on the idea or the temptation that passed through. In other words, when a, when something passes through our minds, the visual here is that as it passes through, you grab it and you start thinking about it. And it, and it starts to take root in your heart and your life. The next, the next stage, <clears throat> I believe, is attitude. And this is where the attitude of the heart is where you start to formulate a plan of how to carry out the thought that you've been dwelling on. Does this, does this make sense? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> and then the, the final stage of the, the attitude of the heart would be the action, where it, it goes from a passing idea or temptation to a dwelling, and you start to think about it and dwell on it. The attitude then formulates a plan, and then we act upon the plan. Okay. Now, according to the Pharisees, the sin takes place here, right? When you act on what, whatever, whatever it is, it is the action that condemns you. Jesus comes along and he ratchets it up a notch and he says, what? If you think about murder, what are you? You're guilty of murder. So, is he talking about the first stage or the second stage? The second stage. Okay? When we grab hold of the idea and we allow it to fester in our thinking... That's when Jesus says we are guilty of murder. When we take the intent or the passing idea or the temptation that walks past us or we think about something and then we dwell on it, we formulate a plan and then we act upon the plan. Now, does everything that passed through our mind, does everything make it to step two? 
No, it does not. <clears throat> and it shouldn't, right. Okay? But does everything that we dwell on make it to step three? No. A lot of, a lot of it does, but not everything. Because what, what, can, what can happen here in step two? The conscience kicks in. Uh, hey, Rick, you, you, you shouldn't be thinking about this. <clears throat> just today, just today, I was, I was laying down. I, I, was, I was really, really tired after church tonight, uh, this morning, and I, I, I decided to lay down take a nap. And I was laying on the couch, and my mind was thinking about some bad news that I had received today. And my and I couldn't sleep because I was I was in this stage. It was it was it was dwelling in my heart in my life, and I finally the Lord reminded me, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And I said, you know what? There is no virtue and there is no praise on what I'm thinking about, and I put it out of my mind, and I fell right to sleep. See, not everything that we dwell on makes it to here. And not everything that makes it to here makes it to here. Because there is the Spirit of God in our lives. And conviction can take place and so on and so forth. But in my thinking, this is, this is the four steps to, to the heart. <clears throat> so the six topics we're going to talk about are murder, adultery, divorce, uh, swearing oaths, uh, retaliation, and loving your enemies. Those are the six topics that he covers in this section. And all six were hot-button topics in Jesus' day. And I'm here to tell you, all six of them are hot-button issues today. So... <clears throat> Let's get started. Let's see. Did, was I? Um, okay, yeah. The title, the title of the message tonight, and, and probably next week or two, um, uh, dealing with real life issues. Dealing with real life issues. Because this is exactly what Jesus does. And he calls it what it is. It's murder. It's not anything else. It's It's murder. So, question. Was it easier to live the Mosaic Law or the Sermon on the Mount? The, the, the Mosaic Law would have been easier to live. Why? Because I didn't kill him. thought about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, you know, because because what does Jesus do? Jesus intensifies every single one of these to the heart. <laughs> hey, every wife has thought about that. <laughs> Except my wife, of course. So, let's look at let's look at at the first one, murder. On point number 1, murder. Um <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5. Let's start reading in verse 21. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment of whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, uh, shall be in danger of counsel. Um, uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I did. I'm sorry. Let's, verse 21. Um, and we have heard that it had been said of old time that... Uh, the, uh, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of that of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka uh, shall be in danger of counsel. And, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there 
uh, rememberest that thy brother had ought against thee, leave it, uh, leave there thy gift uh, before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thy adversary uh, quickly while uh, thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the offender, and thou be cast into prison. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you again for your love and the work you do in our lives. And Lord, as we look at these very important subjects, I ask that you would speak to our hearts and that you would help us to really dig down deep into our lives and really examine our hearts. Uh, we, we need you, and we ask that you just do a mighty work in our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> now I understand that most murders take place among friends and family. Uh, these are called uh, crimes of passion. Uh, if, you, if you were to uh, go through uh, statistically, um, what, what does if somebody dies, who are the first people the police go after? The, the, the spouses, immediate family members. <clears throat> Why? Because the majority of murders are, are committed by family members or friends. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus did not say... Um, that anger leads to murder. Okay, now get this. He did not say that anger leads to murder. What he said was, anger is murder. Again, he didn't candy coat it. He didn't pull any punches. He, he just, he called it what it is. He said, anger is murder. I dare say that that is a sobering thought, is it not? As I, as, the, as I thought about the reality of that statement, I, I thought, wow, that, that's harsh. Is there, ever, is there ever a good... It, well, let, me, let me rephrase it. Is there ever uh, a time when anger is a good thing? Okay, there is. Okay, let me give you an example. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and following, it says um, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and, being, uh, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one to another. And be ye angry, and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. So according to Ephesians chapter 4, <clears throat> there is opportunity to be angry and, and not be a murderer. Okay, uh, an example of that would be when we are angry with our sin. Okay, that is not murder. Okay, but when we are angry at someone, that's what Jesus is saying. When you are angry at someone, it's the same thing as murder in the heart. Yes. That, that, my friend, is a big question. I, I, I don't have an answer to that one. I, I've thought about it, and, and apparently there is, but he doesn't say what it is. Yeah, I would very easily say that the majority of our anger is sinful, yes. Um, if we were to know someone like Hitler, say, or Jeffrey Dahmer, you knew that there would be anger, righteous anger, at what they've done. 
Okay, they, let, let's, let's define a couple of words here because I think it may help us understand what Jesus is communicating. The word anger here is not just a... Huh? Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not the word upset. It, it, it carries the idea of that the fact that you have allowed something to fester to the point that you are angry at someone. It has the it has the idea of step two of the of the of the of the steps here, or at least two or maybe even three, where you've you've allowed this thought to fester to the point where you are angry at someone. Okay, so so that I don't know if that helps define maybe uh, what I, what the, what this is saying, but that word is very specific and it it carries the idea of, of malice towards someone where you. Where you want to you, you want to hurt them, or you you really are angry at them, but you haven't lashed out the, at, at them yet. Okay. The next word, and I've always found this to be a strange word, is the word raka. Anybody know what that means? Empty-headed. Empty-headed okay. <laughs> Empty-headed. I've been called raka a lot uh, over my life. Um, uh, and then the next word I want to look at is the word fool, or the, the word fool would be unwise. Now, he doesn't say if you call somebody empty-headed or foolish that you are in penalty of, of uh, murder. But what does he say here? The, the context here, if you, if, at least the way I understand it is, by using these phrases, you're, you're adding fuel to the fire. And, 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 and what he's saying is you, you don't want to do that. You, you don't want to go down that road. If, it, it, you know, um, if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't, don't say anything at all. <laughs> you know, um, <clears throat> anger causes us to destroy relationships. Anger robs us from our joy. You know, I I I I um, I, I personally know someone, um, and they're they're not here, so don't think, look around, trying to figure out who it is. But I I personally know somebody who who's angry inside. I mean, it it, it is it, to me it is as obvious as as the sun come, coming up in the morning. And this individual may think that, that they're hiding it, but I, I see it. And I see it in the frown that they wear on their face all the time. And, and I see it in the attitude, that they, how they treat other people. And I see it in the fact that they will, they will manipulate people and tell them things that hurt other people. And it, and, it, and it just breaks my heart because you, you can see it inside of them. And that anger and that, that, that bitterness is just boiling inside of them. Now, have they, have they gone out and killed anybody? No. But I dare say they are living in their own prison. The prison that they built for themselves. But Jesus says it's murder. That's what he says. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5, <clears throat> whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Now, <clears throat> did I? Oh, okay. I was wondering <laughs> okay. Um, now, now, at, at first glance, I, I want to talk about this because this is an important verse. At first glance, is this saying that somebody who hates his brother is never cannot go to heaven? Is that what this is saying? Talk to me. No, it's not. Okay. What is it saying? 
It, what it's saying, let, I'll tell you what it's saying. Basically, what it's saying is if you hate your brother, you're a murderer, and the, and the joy of eternal life has been stolen away from you. You, you. you are living in a prison. And that is a horrible place to live. So, question. If I hate someone, which I don't, but if I did hate someone, does that give me a license to go out and kill them? No. <laughs> okay. So don't please don't walk out here saying, yeah, pastor told me I could take you out. <laughs> no, that is not what I'm saying, okay? If you want to go to prison, yes, you know, that's between you and, you know, you and God. But no, that's not what I'm saying. Please understand that. <clears throat> but sinful anger will rob us of the joy of our salvation. It's very clear. However, unchecked anger has been known to lead to actual murder. When people go through the process and they get down to step number three and they, and they formulate a plan and then they decide to act upon the plan. It's happened more than once. And can a Christian go through that process? Absolutely. Our prisons are full of quote-unquote Christians. People who truly, I believe truly, will be in heaven one day who have committed murder because they started with a, with a, with a thought or, an, or, excuse me, with an intent and it became a thought. Then it became a plan and then they acted on the plan. Anger can and will be forgiven if it is dealt with honestly. The answer is in verse 23 of our passage. And we read it this morning. We're going to read it again now. Uh, that that uh, Therefore, if thou uh, bring thy all, uh, gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First, and be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. And then verse 25, this is an interesting statement that Jesus tacks on to the end here. He says, agree with thine adversary, or agree with the accuser. He doesn't say, agree with the accuser if you're guilty. What is he trying to do? At least the way I read, the way I read it, he's telling us, you know what? Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't realize I hurt your feelings, Brian. I'm really sorry, man. I'm just agreeing with him. I, I'm not necessarily admitting that I did anything wrong, but I'm agreeing. Hey, you know what? I didn't realize he did. It. I'm sorry. Now, the next time I have inter, 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 interchange with, with Brian, you know, I'm going to know not to you know, bring that subject up again. I don't know. But, but that's how it works. It says, Agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. <clears throat> Do your best to, to mend fences. We are told to go to the person 
And again, we talked about it this morning, so I'm not going to talk about it too much. But the, you know, we we are told to go to the person, not that we necessarily have done anything wrong, but somebody that we know uh, that is mad at me for some reason. There there have been people um, that you know I I can tell just you you know what I'm talking about. You can tell when talking to someone, hey, they, they, there's something between us. You know, there there's there, there's something wrong here. And you go to that person, and I have had this happen to me, I can't tell you how many times, where I've gone to him and I say, hey, what is wrong? What, you know, there's something, there's something going on. What, what's wrong here? Let's work it out, whatever it is. I, I have no clue what I've done, but I want to make it right. No, 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 I'm not going to talk about it. Have you all ever had that? Number one, that's called sin. When you don't say, hey, you know what, you hurt my feelings or whatever you are just as responsible to come clean. But there are people that they, they won't, no, I'm not going to talk, no, uh, no, no. That's wrong. But you know what? I can sleep at night because I did the right thing. I went to that person and I tried. And, and there are some people I've tried multiple times. No, 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 not going to talk. You know what? I sleep good at night. Because I did the right thing. There's an old saying. I don't know who, who originated with this, but I've heard it for years. It has been well said that the person who refuses to forgive his brother destroys the very bridge over which he himself must walk. Let me read that again because that's that's good. It is it has well been said that the person who, who refuses to forgive his brother destroys the very bridge over which he himself must walk. That's a sad place to live. Forgiveness should be on the tip of every believer's tongue. Yes, I forgive you. Will you forgive me? I, I, I called somebody recently and, and <clears throat> had a sit-down uh, meeting with them, and I just said, hey, look, the reason for this meeting is I need to apologize to you. I said something to this individual that was, it was not a lie, as we would classify a lie, but I wasn't totally honest either. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Hello? Okay. And I said that, and God, God, God smote my heart. So I called him. I said, we need to talk. And we sat down. And I said, look, I, 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 this is what I told you. That is partially true, but the real truth is, and I said, will you forgive me? You know what their response was? I've never had a pastor apologize to me. Ever. My first thought was, man, the pastor should be the first one apologizing. Right? Because you know what? Last time I checked, I'm human just like everybody else. So, number one, the issue of murder. Number two, We're going to talk about adultery for a minute. Let's look at verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if the right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is 
is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not thy whole body should be cast into hell. So, Jesus clearly confirms the need for sexual purity within within the marriage. God created sex. Okay, I'm I'm just going to be honest here, okay, folks. God God created it. And because he created it, it's a good thing in the context in which he com- uh, created it, and that is in the context of marriage. Outside of that, it is wrong. It's that simple, okay? It, it's not complicated here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Now, I, I do want to say this. The word look in, let's see, what verse is it? Uh, yes, 28. The word looketh, or look, again, going back to the to the word angry, it, it kind of has the same contextual idea here in the fact that it is not just a glance, but a, a um, what's, Whoa. yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, when you linger. Yeah, a, ling- a lingering look. There you go. That's that's word. A, a, a concentration where you, it's not just a, Oh, oh, okay. That that that's not what this word is. It's where you see something and you go. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know. That's what this word is. Okay, I don't know how else to describe it, but that's what it is. So, can we can we pull up our four our four things again, Chris? I, I should have told you, warned you, I was going to do this. Now. According to this list, and I, I believe this list to be true, can an intent, a passing idea, or a temptation, is, is that what Jesus is talking about here? No, I, I don't believe so. I believe it is possible that, that a man can see a pretty lady and say, oh, well, she's pretty, and just and go on with his life and it not be a problem. When does it become a problem? <laughs> okay? When you dwell on it. Okay? <clears throat> Jesus is not saying, because if, if, if it were the case, we'd have to walk around blindfolded. Yeah. You, you know, and that would, be, uh, that would be a fun trick. Especially in the summertime. Um, now I want to I want to talk about something that is is controversial at best, and most churches that I've ever been in, been a part of have never really talked about. But I want to talk about pornography for a minute. It is the elephant in the room that never seems to go away. But we live in a world today that pornography is a big problem. It is a huge problem. And I want, I want to share some, and you guys know I love statistics, so I want to share some statistics with you because, because I was shocked. I was shocked by what I read. But I think it's important we share this because is not what Jesus is talking about right here and here and here does not pornography fit into that? Absolutely it does. So let's talk about it for a minute. <clears throat> According to Focus on the Family, do you all know what Focus on Most people know what Focus on the Family is. Very, very legitimate organization. One, the article that I, I read, this is a, just a snippet out of the article. Uh, more than, more than 70% of Christian men admit to watching porn. 
There's something wrong in our churches today. I, w- I read another article that, 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 that mentioned this. Pornography is one of, the, uh, one of those things, very uncomfortable subjects people don't like to talk about or preach about. But it is a very real issue and is wreaking tremendous destruction both in people's lives and in marriages. The Lord addressed it in Matthew chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, which he does. The Lord wants us, excuse me, the Lord warns us, but even still, pornography is a problem in the world and in the church. Here are some statistics involving religious groups. In December 2000, the National National Coalition to Protect Children and Families surveyed five Christian college campuses. to see how many of the next generation of believers were were faring in regards to sexual purity. 48% of males admitted to current porn usage and 68% of males said they uh, intentionally viewed sexually explicit sites in school. These are on Christian campuses. Now, the the article doesn't say which ones, but it shouldn't matter. A 1996 Promise Keeper survey conducted at one of their stadium events revealed that over 50% of the men attending, attending the event had been involved with pornography within the last week of the event. And that was a long time ago. There's a problem in the church. Now, I'm going to say something. I warned my wife about this, and she's like, yeah, I know, i got to hurry. Um, I want to say something, and I, I need you to really pay attention to what I'm about to say because I don't want you to take it out of context, okay? But as a pastor... As a counselor, the the you know, I, I again let me let me give my disclaimer. I am not a, a a doctor, I'm not a psychologist, a psychiatrist, I'm none of those things. I'm a pastor that tries to help people. And one of the things that I have found in my counseling physically, there is very little difference between being addicted to pornography and addicted to video games. Physically, it has the same effect on your body. You ever hear of these things called endorphins? Endorphins, whatever. It is the exact same struggle. The people that struggle with pornography and the people who struggle with video gaming, it is the exact same thing. Now, I'm not saying that pornography and video gaming is the same thing. That's not what I'm saying. But the struggle is the same. And I don't know, you, you people that have young, young kids today, be careful with video games. It, is, it can become a really dangerous thing for young people today. And as a pastor, I'm just here to tell you, you need to be careful. You say, but pastor, I'm not watching pornography. But if you're video gaming to the point where you're ignoring your family, there's a problem. It is, a, it is becoming a, an epidemic across our country. I, I, I be, And I told my wife this. I said, I, I was so proud of myself because... The, the, these are my conclusions, okay? But I, I, I thought, I wonder if I'm the only one thinking like this. Because I have reached out to 
addiction organizations, Christian-based addiction organizations, and said, hey, what do you have on video gaming? And it was a few years ago, but everyone I reached out to said, we don't, we don't have anything. It's a, it's a relatively new phenomenon. And so I, as I've been studying and doing my, my research, I, I typed in Google the other day, and I said, I, I can't remember exactly what I said, but anyway, there are many, many articles out there that are paralleling the addiction of pornography and the addiction of video gaming, both Christian-based and secular-based counseling. It is, a com- it is becoming a huge problem. And we need to be careful. Now, obviously, Jesus in, in, this, in this text here is not talking about um, video gaming, but I, I just felt that it was, it was important that we talk about it because physically it's the exact same result, the addiction, the, the, the endorphins and all that stuff that it creates in our bodies. We need to be careful. Well, and they do. They both fall under the lust of the eyes and, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> but, so, the question is, if, if I have an addiction to whatever, uh, a video gaming or, or pornography, whatever, <clears throat> do, is there any hope? Is there any hope? There is always hope. There is always hope. Jesus tells us how to how to how to how to get over it. Right here. Let's read it. In verse 29, he says, If thy right eye uh, 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 offend thee, pluck it out. And then he tells us to, if your right hand offends thee, cut it off. So is he literally telling us if you have a problem with pornography or or video gaming or anything else like that, oh, you should pluck your eyes out and cut your hands off. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that is not what he's saying, okay? But what is he saying? Okay, he, he's, not, he's not telling you to go to the doctor and have your eyes cut out and, and, and all that. What, what he's, at least the way I understand it, is he's telling us to deal with it immediately and decisively. Okay? This, this is... This is not this is not something that okay I'm I'm going to I'm going to only watch pornography for 2 hours today and and two and a, an hour and a half tomorrow and I'm going to phase off of it. No, that's not what he's saying. He's like if if you're doing it, stop. Stop. Just get done with it. That's how I read it. There's no tapering off. You just need to stop. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. Where is the battle taking place? In your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let me say this. Spiritual surgery is more important than physical surgery. You can cut your eyes out, but what will, your mind, what will the eye in your mind see? Seeing the same thing you've seen for years. Playing the same video games, watching the same nasty movies. It's all there. But if we will renew our minds, eventually it'll go away. Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as in instruments of righteousness unto God. Verse, uh, uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. 
Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There is a way out. There's always a way out. I got one minute. One more verse. Micah chapter 7, verse uh, 18 and 19. For, for uh, who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth the transgressions, uh, the transgression of the, the remnant of his heritage? He restrain, restraineth not, excuse me, he retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou will cast all their sins into the deep, the, into the depth of the sea. There's hope. There's hope. Jesus is fundamental change to these six laws really intensifies them. And it aims us, aims right at our hearts. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, you know our hearts. You know the struggles, the trials, the, the things that we're going through right now. And Lord, the, the statistics I read earlier are, are to me, uh, astounding. And Lord, we just ask that you would have your way in our lives, that you would, you would grow us and that you would help us to be more like you in everything that we say and do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.